This podcast is brought to you by Airs on Air, global mobility inspired thinking. This episode is the first in a series focusing on the topic of immigration as it relates to global mobility. Our host is Sarah Perry, Airs marketing intern and student at Robert Morris University. Our guest today is Bobby Bartle, General Counsel at Airs. I'm Sheila McKell. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Airs on Air. Well, thank you, Bobby, for joining me today. I had the ability to read your article, Checking the Pulse of Corporate Immigration Program Strategy. And as someone who doesn't know much about the immigration or the relocation industry before coming into this internship, I still have some questions for you. So do you mind if we go through that a little bit today? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Of course. All right, so let's dive right in. The first question I have for you is, what is the main objective of an immigration program? All right, yeah, so this is a good question and a good way to start off our immigration podcast with this really, you know, um, general question regarding what a goal would be of a company when they have an immigration program. And, you know, if, if I had to pick one thing as the absolute main objective, at the end of the day, it is compliance. That is what the company has to achieve. They have to make sure that they're obtaining the correct work authorization and residence statuses for their foreign national employees that are working in another country. So um, as far as I'm concerned, it actually absolutely has to be compliance. Um, now, immigration, you know, is a hurdle, right? So getting to that point of compliance, having the right document, making sure, you know, it continues to be renewed. Um, all of that is, is really rewarding when you achieve that result and that compliance, both for the company in terms of bringing a foreign national to another country to work, as well as for the employee themselves. Obviously, a really rewarding experience. Um, but the process to get to that point can certainly be one filled with a lot of hurdles and it can be frustrating. So um, yes, they, the, the main objective of an immigration program is compliance, but what I'm very curious about and what, what I like solving for um, our clients in terms of what could become problems is all of that part in between when they're getting the immigration document, all of those hurdles that they have to overcome. Those are the things that an employer can certainly become compliant. Employees can become compliant in the realm of immigration. But the question is, are they getting there easily? Are they getting there efficiently? Or are they stumbling their way to the finish line? So obviously we want to avoid that where they're stumbling and there's a lot of mistakes and a lot of time and money wasted. That can be very frustrating. And oftentimes clients will come to us because that's the experience that they're having. Um, so it's important to, you know, obviously if you're, you're a client and you're sponsoring individuals for immigration, you have to be compliant, but you also have to select the right team to get you there in the easiest, most efficient, most cost-effective way possible. And I think that's what we are here to solve uh, from AIR's perspective. Okay, great. So I want to ask specifically about immigration cases. So what do you think is the number one priority in administering immigration cases? Well, actually, I think there are a few of them. Um, and that's really why our 
immigration team, the heirs immigration team, that's why we exist. Um, but if I had to pick just one, um, what I would say it is absolutely um, efficiency, right? So how quickly those cases are going from the starting point to the finish line. Um, oftentimes clients are coming to us to fix their immigration process because they're just really frustrated by how slow the cases that they have are moving along. They initiate a case with a law firm and then it might just stall. And you know, there's just no transparency on their side, uh, the client side as to what's actually happening. Um, and because the, the lawyers are working on the process and the client, they don't have visibility to it and they just don't really have any control to make the case move along faster. So that is you know, their number one um, issue when you, they come to heirs for a way to um, be able to move cases along in a, in a much quicker fashion. Uh, so we certainly, we make it a point to utilize our staff to utilize our technology to keep the end provider honest, right? And that end provider, that's that's the law firm. That's who we're working alongside with. That might be directed by the client. That might be part of our partnership network, but that's a law firm working on the case. But we are there to play that um, middle facilitator, right? Who's working both as, as an extension of the client, but also working as an extension of the law firm to make sure that they are moving along those cases as quickly as possible. And the way that we do it is we start backwards. And so as soon as we get a case, um, we have an expected date of when that case should be completed. And then from that date, we start filling in the expected milestones along the way. So when documents are gonna be collected, when they're gonna be submitted, when the government's gonna review and approve the application, and so we have all of those milestones mapped out at the beginning of the case. And so when those dates come up and those milestones are expected to be achieved, but yet they're not being achieved for one reason or the other, we are there to make sure we're going to that end provider, the law firm and saying, hey, what's happening? Why isn't this case being submitted? Um, why is it being delayed by a day? We don't let cases go past one day before we're reaching out to understand what the delay is about. Um, and we can also communicate proactively to our clients if there's something that's outside of our control that might change the timeline, like missing documents or qualification issues, government delays. There's a lot of hurdles, obviously, in immigration, and not every single case is going to go expected to plan. But what we don't want to happen is we don't want something to, to get behind that's in our control. And we certainly don't want something to happen um, where maybe it's outside of our control, but nobody's being proactive about it. Um, nobody's informing the different stakeholders as to why something is delayed. Rather, things are reactive. And that is the scenario that our clients hate. And that is where why we exist, to make sure that those scenarios don't happen where somebody's going to delay a case um, you know, or something's out of our control that's going to delay a case, but yet nobody within the client's organization knows about it, or sometimes the employees don't know about it. And then all of a sudden an issue, you know, starts to bubble up and everybody's wondering why, why is this case delayed and nobody has any answers. So our goal is to A, make things move along as quickly as can happen when, you know, those things are in our control. But if there is something outside of our control, a government strike, 
you name it, a lot of things happen in immigration. At that point, we can proactively inform everyone as to what's happening and change the game plan um, so everybody has a, has a strong expectation as what will come next. Um, and to be honest, law firms aren't created to always play that customer service role in the process. They're there to get petitions out of the door. In some cases, get pushed to the bottom. Some cases are expedited. Um, but we want to make sure that there is consistency in that process. Um, and we are helping the client, helping the employee, helping even the law firm understand where the progress needs to be and playing that customer service role that we think sometimes is missing in the overall immigration function. Thank you for that. I think that is really important that efficiency is so important to heirs because I think a lot of people have an expectation that immigration is a long and painful process. So to have the client in mind is definitely a huge benefit. So I want to move on to talk about something else that I think a lot of people are curious about, and that is around COVID-19. So my question is, what has changed in the last year in the corporate immigration industry as COVID-19 restrictions are beginning to ease? Yeah, so much. Um, so obviously, the, the pandemic has created this scenario where compliance is at the forefront of, of so many things that are connected to immigration. So remote work policies, travel restrictions, and quarantines. Um, so the, the, the pandemic has played a big role in um, you know, shifting ultimately how important that compliance piece. Remember, we talked about the number one priority of an immigration program, and that is compliance. And so um, the pandemic has, has certainly um, made compliance even more important than it was before. Um, but even before that, right, leading up to the pandemic, we had things like Brexit. We had a changing landscape in American politics. Um, these things additionally have put a spotlight on immigration compliance where you know every program has to cross its T's, dot its I's and do everything 110% compliantly um, or else there's going to be ramifications, right? And so, that has certainly kept us on our toes even before the pandemic hit. But, um, you know, compliance with the pandemic scenarios, compliance with protectionist labor rules, you name it. Um, I, I would say really about three or four years ago, um, we, we started to understand that that was um, changing in, in how important it was to companies, that they were no longer willing um, or able to be risk averse to business travelers who maybe needed a work permit um, or you know, not obtaining the correct permits um, prior to a start date. Um, th that landscape definitely changed several years ago. And, it, and it's really where you know, we then saw this great market opportunity where we could step in and you know, allow the process to still be efficient, not slow down the mobility of individuals, but still obtain that compliance piece. And so we were really excited about our service and the position that we provided um, going into the pandemic, um, you know, before the pandemic hit. Um, but then, you know, even after that, we, we had an opportunity throughout 2020 to really 
you know, have a break in cases. And I think this is true for a lot of immigration providers and, and a lot of service providers in general. And we, we had a, the ability to look at how we were going to adjust our service offerings, enhance our technology solutions. Um, and, and here we are a, a year and a half out of the pandemic. And, you know, we understand our purpose in the marketplace. We've now had the ability to fine tune how we provide that service in the marketplace and things are picking up at a tremendous pace. We've doubled our staff um, just in the last year, a year and half a year, in fact. And so we're adding individuals to our team from overseas. And I think that right there is just an indication of the market need for both compliance, efficiency, and all of the other priorities that we talk about in providing an immigration service. Well, the position AIRS is currently in is very inspiring, and it's definitely exciting for the clients and the company alike. And it really does show you what the power of hard work and communication can do. So something else I found interesting in your article is your position on immigration law firms. So I wanted to ask you, do you feel it is best to use one immigration law firm or multiple immigration law firms? Yeah, great question. And these are the things that, you know, certainly we think through quite a bit and we think through with our clients. So um, <clears throat> I don't think it's necessary to have more than one immigration law firm in one particular country, right? So, you know, if you are administering an immigration program and cases in um, just one jurisdiction alone, you know, I, I don't really see a reason why you would necessarily have to have more than one immigration law firm in that particular country. Though I know it does exist where, where some clients, um, you know, ha have chosen to potentially, let's say in the U.S., have one law firm do non-immigrant visas and another law firm do green card cases. Um, you know, I don't really necessarily understand the rationale behind that because I would think every immigration law firm in uh, today's age should be well equipped to handle all of the various different uh, visas required in one particular country. Um, so, you know, I, I think from a country perspective, I don't think you have to have more than one uh, immigration law firm uh, because you, you're trying to develop a rhythm and you're trying to develop a cadence with the law firm that you work with. And if you start to have um, more than one partner or changing partners for every case for some reason, you're going to lose out on that ability to um, streamline. Um, but with that being said, if you're operating in more than one country, um, and so you're you're submitting immigration uh, applications more than one jurisdiction, absolutely. Um, I, I think you should evaluate immigration law firms on a country-to-country -country basis, and I think you should be picking the absolute best immigration provider that is out there in every single country. You know, why limit your program from having the best of the best throughout the world? Um, you know, there's not one immigration law firm out there that is, can by any means say that they are the absolute most cost-effective and best performing immigration law firm in every single country in which they operate. Um, there, there are tremendous opportunities to look at, you know, boutique law firms, if you don't have a large program in one particular country, um, or, you know, just making sure that you're working with a with firms 
that have a physical presence in the country in which you're submitting applications to. Um, you know, it happens a lot where global law firms will just be outsourcing to co-counsel. Um, and we don't think that that's necessary um, for a client to have to do. So fortunately at AIRS, um, you know, we're in a unique position because we're not a global immigration law firm, rather we're a relocation provider. So we're providing a relocation service, but as a part of that service, we're, we're able to streamline the immigration process. And we can do that with an independent network of partners. Um, in last count, I think we had 72 immigration partners around the world um, in most major countries and regions. We, we had multiple um, immigration options in terms of law firms or immigration agents. And this is just really important to our clients because it gives them the flexibility to work with all of our vendors. Um, and again, you know, maybe selecting just one vendor in a particular country, but certainly having the flexibility to change vendors from country to country, because as I mentioned, I just think that there's no other way that you're going to get the best of the best and the most efficient, knowledgeable, and cost-effective unless you do it that way. And so, um, you know, that, that network that we have is really an important point um, because clients have a contractual relationship with heirs as, as a relo provider. Um, but as soon as they enter into that contractual relationship and we're providing immigration services, well, now they've got access to our whole network um, and they don't have to go to RFP or they don't have to um, have their procurement involved to necessarily change immigration providers because they have heirs and that gives them then access to our network and 72 immigration partners. And if they wanted to, they could change that end partner every single case. Uh, again, no one would do that, but it just proves that point of the flexibility that they have. And so, you know, not only are we streamlining the process with our technology, and not only are we helping take burdens off of the desk of the mobility provider and client because of the fact, you know, that we have a team doing the customer service role and handling the communications, but really, you know, we are operating as a brokerage for immigration law firms, um, where you know we're able to get best in best in class pricing in every single country because partners want to work with us because they know that you know we we have um, it's advantageous for them to do so, um, and so we can take advantage of that for our clients um, and make sure that they have the best of the best of immigration law firms around the world. Yeah, thank you for that. I really appreciate your perspective on that topic. And I think a lot of clients will appreciate the ability for heirs to be able to streamline and simplify the process. So I want to talk a little bit about the responsibilities for different immigration services and departments, because I think this can get a little bit confusing for some people. So my question is, which department has the most responsibility for corporate immigration? between the global mobility department, the legal department, and the HR department. And to follow up with that a little bit, do you think that deciding to divvy up the responsibilities between the departments is a safe option? So this is a really uh, fascinating topic to me. Um, and you know, there's, there's no one answer in terms of how everybody necessarily does it or companies do it. 
Um, and I'm also speaking um, as a lawyer, right? And so um, you, you, you would think maybe I'm biased to think that this um, responsibility of immigration program responsibility rests with a legal department, um, but I don't know that that's actually accurate. So there will be outliers. There will be scenarios where um, within a legal department, you have immigration attorneys specifically, and so they might actually be filing petitions on behalf of the company itself. Um, but, but that's few and far between. There's, there's not a lot of um, companies that hire internal immigration lawyers. So when that is the case, and so the more traditional model where a company has to outsource that entire immigration function, in my view, it makes sense um, for the global mobility department to handle the immigration function. Um, you know, in global mobility, usually sitting as a subset of sorts of an HR department. And so um, I think that if, if that is the route that a company goes, that the, the mobility, mobility department that's handling that immigration program is handling both the global files from a centralized location, wherever that might be, um, and that includes the U.S. immigration piece. So in my experience, I have found that at certain points there are global mobility departments handling the global files, but yet the U.S. legal team is handling the U.S. immigration files. And, you know, unless there's some other good reason that's not apparent to me within that company and, and their setup for doing that, um, you know, I just, I really don't make too much sense of, of that because, you know, I'm of the view that everything from a company perspective should try to be centralized, should try to be streamlined across all of the immigration program, all of the different countries in which you're providing sponsorship. This just allows a greater eye and visibility into the compliance that you're trying to achieve. And so, you know, that's what we essentially emulate at AIRS is we are one department that is an arm of the team internally. We're like an in-house immigration specialist and we're performing that role from a centralized capacity. Of course, we're working with partners around the globe, but everything at the end of the day, the workflow, the documents, um, the information and data, the spend, all of that information is contained in one centralized location under the AIRS umbrella. And when you have that visibility into, you know, the, the big picture, um, you're able to make more strategic decisions and you're able to locate where flaws are. Um, oftentimes, you know, I've experienced where global mobility professionals will tell me the U.S. immigration is being handled by their legal team. Um, and then they'd like to have me to have a conversation with the legal team and I will, but I'll quickly find out that the legal team really doesn't have any idea as to what's happening. They're just outsourcing the cases to an immigration law firm who's part of their roster of outside counsel. And so when that happens, you know, that's where A, nobody has visibility into the process. Even more unfortunately for the company, nobody has visibility into the spend. And so then when you're digging into it, you see that there's these archaic models of, you know, being charged hourly for casework plus professional fees for every petition. And you know, that's just not the marketplace anymore. Um, but a general attorney from within the company probably wouldn't have 
any reason to understand that, right? And so the mobility team, I think, does have a reason to understand that because immigration is such a function of relocation and of mobility. And so we are there to help assist them. And I think they probably get it a little bit more. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it is though a very fascinating question. It's worth exploring within each company that we work with in terms of, you know, what ultimately makes sense to them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it maybe makes sense. Let's do some sort of program assessment and really understand you know, what's the efficiency, what's the spend, and, you know, ultimately, can we do that if we're looking at the cases, you know, in two separate different functions of the company, you know, I'm not sure that we can. So um, I would advocate that the company tries to centralize that immigration process and immigration program as much as possible. Thank you for that. I think as someone with an outside perspective that clients will really appreciate knowing where the responsibility lies within the companies they're working with. And I want to ask you another question on behalf of those of us who are not very well versed in the topic. I was wondering if you could explain a little bit further about what an immigration policy really is. Yeah, so, and this kind of is linked to that last question, right? Because again, if you have all of these different um, groups within an organization that's administering the immigration program, you really kind of lose that disconnect on a, um, you know, umbrella policy or guide to how you will administer it, right? So um, this is a, an important question in that context of the answer that I just provided. Um, but essentially an immigration policy is something that could be part of the employee handbook. Um, it's the standard guide for which the company approaches immigration issues um, to you know, how they perform immigration formalities to scenarios in which they provide sponsorship, scenarios um, you know, maybe in which costs might be um, delegated to the employee to be responsible and pay for on their own. So it's really just this guidebook as to how the company approaches their immigration program. Um, and it's, it's, in my view, if anybody has responsibility for an immigration program, but yet doesn't have an immigration policy, and I think it happens a lot more than I would ever expect, um, you know, I think that's something that they need to correct. And, and I would um, suggest that they certainly engage us for that because administering these immigration programs, we've worked with outside counsel, we've put together some really good policies, really good guidelines that companies can use both from a US perspective or a global perspective, but it will give them that roadmap to how they perform the immigration function within their organization. And then everybody has this fair and reasonable expectation as to what will occur if the company is going to sponsor somebody for immigration. So, um, you know, it ultimately too is, is, you know, something that when we go through an implementation process with a new client, right, we would almost expect a lot of the answers in that implement, implementation guide and that process to uh, be the byproduct of either a, a currently existing immigration policy or 
uh, immigration policy policy that is going to be created from that guide. And it, what's really, really kind of mind blowing from our perspective is when we're sometimes sitting down with clients who maybe they've had bumps in the road with immigration and they they just, you know, it's they stumble and fumble their way to that compliance piece. And so they're coming to us to fix those problems and they have a really large immigration volume. But then when we get through to the implementation guide um, and we start asking questions, they don't know the answers to general questions as to, you know, how they would proceed with, with certain immigration um, actions and activities. And so that to us is something that if a policy were in place, um, we probably would be at a better spot and we'd already be able to fill in a lot of these questions in terms of the implementation guide. Um, so, you know, we work through that implementation guide. That's kind of a first step when we onboard a new client. But then if they don't have a policy, we certainly suggest, hey, let's take this implementation guide. Let's take the information that we know from a, you know, regulatory and best practices standpoint and let's formulate a policy. And then this way it can be provided to a stakeholder at the organization, as I mentioned previously, hopefully a centralized state stakeholder who can disperse this information throughout the whole entire organization, different business units, different offices, um, different countries, and everybody is playing within the same rules. And from a compliance standpoint, again, that's the most important thing that we're trying to achieve. From a compliance standpoint, being able to administer the program fairly and equitably between all of the employees is extremely important um, and certainly not something that any company wants to run afoul from. So, um, you know, it kind of all merges together. And at the end of the day, that policy is the byproduct of, you know, what we're trying to achieve um, and how we're going to, going to administer, administer things and obtain compliance. Right. I feel like the immigration policy is a lot more important and definitely a lot more goes into it than most people realize. So thank you for explaining that a little bit more. So as we are wrapping up our podcast today, I want to ask you a question about the future of corporate immigration as Ayers is a constantly growing company and everyone in the company is constantly looking forward and moving together. So my final question is, what do you see for the future of corporate immigration? Yeah, so I, I would definitely like many things in relocation and just the world around us, technology. Technology is gonna make the process um, better. It's gonna make the process cheaper. Um, you know, I know even at Airs, you know, we're, we're able to take advantage of bots to do certain functions. And I know um, some partners, immigration law firms that, I, that we work with now have some mechanisms of having artificial intelligence and, and being able to um, perform certain functions automatically. Um, so I think that that is extremely important. And in that same vein, in terms of technology, technology it's the integrations right? So it's not only the, the process of um, getting through a case and getting a case set up and submitted and all of that, but it's also then the integration with the other 
providers, the other people, the, the, the wider audience, right, that is involved or has reason to be involved in an immigration process and making sure that information of that particular case is flowing back and forth as necessary, right? And just, again, making the whole process more efficient um, and visible to everybody involved. So those are things that we certainly recognize with the AIRS immigration team. Those are things we're continuing to build. We, we've already put in quite a bit and we've accomplished quite a bit in terms of immigration technology. And we're looking to continue to expand on that and build on that with partners that are certainly engaging us to do so. And so we're, we're really excited to be a part of the, the global immigration community and having practitioners and, and partners and some of these early adapters to this enhanced immigration technology reach out to us and, and have us part of the process um, to make the end user's life easier. Um, so, so we find ourselves in just this awesome and unique position where we can offer these items for clients and um, you know, do so with customer service, with technology in the field of immigration, but with the greater goal of just enhancing relocation of making sure that immigration is not a disturbance or a headache to the overall relocation. That's what our AIRS immigration team is here to do and to partner with immigration practitioners around the world to do it, um, and to do it cheap and uh, to do it very efficient for our clients. So um, we're really excited about that opportunity um, and we're happy to take on that role. Well, thank you for answering that so thoroughly. This has been so fascinating just getting to sit here and learn more about immigration with you just these past few minutes. Um, it's honestly been a privilege to start off this series about immigration with someone who has such a deep knowledge of the industry. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. It's been fun.